following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Before I read this morning, I'd like to just share a testimony of God's grace and goodness. Today marks 40 years that I have been in the ministry. My, 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 my pastor called me and said, I need you to come to the office. And I'm like, it's New Year's Day, <laughs> day off. But anyway, I came in and he said, I want to bring you on staff. And are you good with that? And I was like, are you serious? Like I get to pay, get paid to love Jesus <laughs> and serve Jesus. And um, that was 40 years ago today. And I say that because we look at each new year as a new opportunity to start again. This has been 40 times to start over. No, it it has been like 5,000 times to start over. Because you know what? We trip. And it's God's faithfulness. I'm not talking about my faithfulness. I'm talking about God's faithfulness in good times and in bad times. Um, I would not have made it in 40 years if it wasn't all for Jesus. And so, because all for Jesus, all to Jesus, I surrender. And I hope he gives me 40 more years to do this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation. To doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Thank the Lord for the truth of his word. Last year I read a book called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And in the book he tells a story and I want to try to share that same story with you this morning. But before I can share that story, I have to explain a food in the story that we don't have here. Maybe you've had an experience with cottage cheese, but it's not something that we have very much of here. How many of you are familiar with cottage cheese? There we go. All right. So the rest of us, I have to explain it. That's why I cottage cheese. So the word cottage, the word cottage means like house, leak-leak house, not the leak-leak house, but the leak-leak house, right? Uh, it's a small house, cottage. It's the cheese of the poor people, and it, it, it originates in Europe. It's a food that the Europeans made popular during the First World War. 
I went to Wikipedia to try to find a definition, and I thought their definition was perfect. So you listen closely to the definition of cottage cheese. Here it is. Cottage cheese is a curdled milk product with a mild flavor and a creamy, non-homogenous, soupy texture. That's right, curdled milk. In other words, you left your Ilamo one liter on the table for too long, and it went bad. And somebody put that in the refrigerator, and they called it cheese. So when I say cottage cheese, don't think cheese like the ham and cheese sandwich or the pizza cheese. We're talking about cottage cheese. I went searching and got a picture. I think if the screens are working well for us, I'm going to see if we can get the picture of cottage cheese. It's non-homogenous. In other words, it's not all the same, and it's soupy, and it's lumpy curdles with some milk texture in the middle, kind of a bit like a soup. Health food fanatics like it because it is high in protein and low in fat. And uh, during the First World War, they couldn't afford cows and pigs, and so they left the milk on the table for too long and had cottage cheese. In that book, Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins wrote the book. He wrote about an Ironman contest. So let me explain the Ironman contest. Ironman contest is perhaps the greatest of all marathons. It's a triathlon. They hold it all around the world now, a thousand competitors in each one. You have to put your name in the list a year in advance. They do three major events, 3.9 kilometers of swimming in a river or in the ocean. This is not in a pool back and forth. 3.9 kilometers in a river, and then you get out of the river and you're on a bicycle for 180 kilometers, and then you get off of the bicycle and you run the last 42 kilometers. It typically is only open for 17 hours. They start the race at 7 a.m., they close it at midnight that night, they have a great big banner for the finish line, and at midnight they take the banner down. If you didn't cross over before midnight, sorry about your luck. It's a major race. Jim Collins writes about this guy by the name of Dave Scott, who Dave Scott is, holds the record for the most wins of the Ironman. In fact, prior to him running, the average time was 11 hours to complete all three of those major swimming, a long distance. That long 3.9 kilometers of swimming will take it out of anybody. But add to it 180 kilometers of a bike. Add to it 42 miles, uh, kilometers of running going to kill you. And yet, instead of running it in 11 hours, his first time to run it in 1980, he shaved two hours off the fastest time. That's amazing. And then all throughout the 1980s, he broke his own record year after year. He won the Ironman race six times, still holds the record for the most times raced. And somebody asked him in an interview, what is your secret to running so fast? You've got to hear a secret. His secret was I rinse my cottage cheese. When I listened to that, I thought, my goodness, you rinse your cottage cheese? How can that make you fast? Because it's just hmm, milk and not great milk in the midst of those cheese curdles. And it made me think to myself, it's not about rinsing the cottage cheese. It's about being super disciplined. 
You see, in order to rinse the cottage cheese, you have to be on purpose, take the cottage cheese and put it in the strainer, put it underneath the water. The water runs through it and you get rid of that milk and all you have left is the cheese curds and that's what you're going to have. In other words, he takes a diet food, a healthy food, and he makes it super healthy. You know what Dave Scott doesn't have problems with? A second helping of cake. He never thinks about a second helping of cake or pie. You know why? Because he rinses his cottage cheese. I think as I look at disciplined people, I see disciplined people typically are disciplined in many areas of their life. And those who are undisciplined are undisciplined in many areas of their life. I have a feeling that when Dave Scott's alarm goes off in the morning, and I have a very strong feeling. I have no idea what his sleeping habits are, but I bet you when his alarm goes off, he never hits snooze. I have a feeling that when he gets out of bed in the morning, he probably makes his bed before he goes on to the rest of his day, probably shines his shoes on a regular basis, probably keeps his yard, the grass cut. Disciplined people tend to be disciplined in all of their life. Now, as we come to our spiritual life, there's a big need for us to add discipline to our spiritual life. In fact, the scriptures many times refers to our spiritual life as a race. You don't just get up one morning and decide that you're going to run the Ironman. For me, I would drown in the first 3.9 kilometers. Me no sabe lo swim, much less very good at it. Bicycle, forget it, these two thighs will be done. You have to discipline yourself. You have to practice. And I see in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, and verse number 1, a very good outline or a good idea about our spiritual walk and the need for us to be disciplined. I've got it on the board here, and you bear with us as the screens play up on us. Here's Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Put aside the sin. On the one side, I'm racing, and I'm doing my best to do my spiritual life. I want to be the best that I can. I want to follow the Lord with due diligence. And I, at the same time, as I'm doing that, I have the other side. I'm laying off these things that are going to slow me down. And then he continues on in verse 2, because our eyes should be set not on ourselves but on Christ. Verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now that verse is not saying that Jesus was doing his spiritual disciplines, but you can see it. As he ran his race, he saw there was something much better on the other end. You see the words that are used there? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame, despised the cross, did not let the cross and its suffering slow him down. He gave himself fully to it. And now the author of the book of Hebrews brings this home to us in verse 3. Here's what he says. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Those who were the naysayers, pay attention to how he reacted to them, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Verse 4 says this, you have not resisted unto blood. 
striving against sin. Not a single one of us in our fight against sin has had to go all the way to shedding blood over not sinning. But Christ never sinned once and he gave his life. Why? Because there was joy on the other end. And as you and I run our spiritual race, we will have joy to look forward to. And we have an example that we can look to, Jesus himself. We can see he did it. We can follow through as well. Look to him as we run and we set aside. For this spiritual life is a marathon. And how you perform is directly tied to your spiritual discipline. So you're in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'd like for us to read, we'll walk through this passage together, verse number 8 and verse number 9. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. In other words, it's worthy of accepting. By the way, in that two verses, there was a very important phrase that if we're not careful, we'll miss it. Verse 9 said, it's an important statement, it's worthy of accepting, and if we're not careful, we're just going to miss it. Let me read those two verses again and see if you can find what the important phrase was. Verse 8, for bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of all acceptation. What's the faithful saying? That godliness is profitable unto all things. That's the faithful saying. The one that we need to accept. Bodily exercise profiteth little. Washing out your cottage cheese has very little profit for the rest of your life. It might help you in losing weight right now. It might help you in a race that you have to run right now. But it will not help you in the life to come. But godliness is profitable unto all things, both in this life and in your eternal life. Godliness has promise in this life and in the life to come. In other words, God just tied together your spiritual discipline to your eternal state. I don't know if you let that sink in this morning. How you live this life, whether you are godly in this life, will have a big impact on this life and that life to come. Let me take a minute and unpack the part of the promise of the life to come. I think the easiest one for us to see is the eternal damnation in hell. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this at length. It's worth discussing. There are degrees of punishment in hell. Some of us might think, well, you just go to hell and it's just one place and then all the people get lumped together in hell. Jesus talks about this in three times in Matthew 10, verse, Matthew 10, Matthew 11, and Matthew 12. Jesus speaks to the fact that there are various degrees of punishment within hell. I don't know that I can fully unpack that. I can trust that the faithful judge of all time, God Almighty, will faithfully judge every person according to what they've done. Therefore, that one who has blasphemously rejected Christ will have a much greater degree of punishment in hell 
than the one who simply never heard. It is not an excuse, and it never gives us the reason for us to say, well, maybe there will be a free pass. Absolutely not. Eternal separation from God in hell is a terrifying thing. But for us to see the degrees of punishment in hell helps us to see also that there are degrees of glorification in heaven. This is eternal bliss. You see the words in verse number 8, godliness is profitable in all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. So your eternity will look better if your life is more godly. That doesn't mean that God will love you more, but He will pass out greater, uh, greater degrees of prizes, if you want to say it that way. He will give you greater opportunity in the life to come. I think you know this from my own testimony. I have no desire to be a politician in this life. No desire whatsoever. But I think when that day comes in the millennial reign of Christ, I would love to be the prime minister, maybe just for a day or two. But I, I'm going to ask for that, if you don't mind. And you guys, can, too, you can get in line and ask, and we can get it a couple of days at a time. We'll take turns. I don't know what that eternal bliss will look like with its degrees of glorification. But he just made this statement, if you're godly in this life, it will show up in this life, and it will also show up in the life to come. Let me talk about quickly for this life. Godliness is profitable, verse 8 says, having promise of the life that now is. So don't think of spiritual disciplines as a bummer. Don't think of God gave me the Bible so that I have to dredge through it and I have to do my Bible reading so that I can gain his approval. No, he gave us the word so that I can soak in the word and allow the word to do its work in my heart. I'm going to be a different person because of the result of my... Uh, the, will be the, I will be a different person... And that will be the result of me having spent time in his word. Let's move to verse 10 and verse 11. There's a reason that I'm doing these spiritual disciplines. Verse 10. But therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. By the way, there are times when it will be work. And there are times when some might reproach you, make fun of you, mock you. You read the Bible. Why would you do that? You pray. Do you think somebody's listening? You go to church, you think you're better than me? Those are the things that the reproach would come. He says in verse 10, we both labor and we suffer reproach. Why? Because we trust in the living God, who's the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. In other words, I'm exercising my spiritual disciplines, I'm moving towards godliness because I believe that God will do what he said he would do, namely, make my life better in this life and in the life to come. Now, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Let your whole life be an example, especially young people, hear these words well, you're the way you live, your conversation, the way you live, your charity, the way you give, your spirit, the way you talk, your faith, the way you trust, your purity, the way you act. Let your whole life be an example to others. There should not be a part of your life that you hold back and hide and hope nobody ever sees. Your entire whole life should be an example so that anyone can come and see all the deepest, darkest secrets and you share, God has done a great change in my life. Your life should be an example of the believers. 
And now we come into verse 13, and this is where I want to hone in on for the rest of our sermon. Verse number 13. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So here's a command. Give attendance to reading. Today and the next two weeks, I'd like to spend time talking about our spiritual disciplines. What are they? Acts chapter 2 verses and verse 42 outlines them. It is the reading of the Word, prayer, and spending time together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and so I would say reading the Word, prayer, and the corporate gathering of the body, the church gathering. Today I want to talk about the reading, next Sunday prayer, and the following Sunday I'll talk about the church gathering But this one we see, give attendance to reading. Spend time reading the Word of God. Reading, literally grab the Scriptures and read them. Exhortation, he gives that word in verse 13. Correcting your wrong ways and doctrine, being rooted in the truth of God and walking in the ways thereof. I'll give you two quick thoughts about the Scriptures. First off, the Scriptures are inexhaustible. Inexhaustible. In other words, you can come back to the Word every single day and you will never exhaust the depths of the Word of God. You come back and you read and you read the very same thing that you've just read a day before or a week before. You spend time in the Word and I promise you, you will not find all of the corners of the Word of God. It is inexhaustible. It is the revealing of the magnificent glory of God. Listen as I take a moment and point out a few of these. In Genesis, he tells us about how he created the universe by the power of his spoken word and how he stayed involved in man's affairs even though men turned their backs against him. And in Exodus, he tells us how he delivered his people from the stronghold of the king of the known world simply by opening a pathway through the Red Sea and then enticing that pawn pharaoh to draw up into the middle of it so he could crush him. And then in Leviticus, he tells us that one day he will provide the sacrificial lamb that will take away the sin of the world. And in Numbers, he tells us that he does not only know every detail of our lives, but he cares about them as well. And in Deuteronomy, he repeats his commands in case we forgot them. And in Joshua, he foreshadows the very name, Joshua, in Hebrew, Jesus in Greek, that there will come one day a man who will lead his people out of wandering in the world so that we can go to one that is filled with milk and honey. And in Judges, he fulfills his promise to hear the cries of his people. And in Ruth, he drops us some handfuls on purpose. And in Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, he sets up and he tears down and he moves the hearts of kings, those that are the wisest and the foolishest of all men. And then in Esther, he lets us know that he is there, even when you don't see him. And in Job, he lets us know that he is actually orchestrating all the details of your life, even the painful ones, and that's all for our good and for his glory. And in Psalms, he declares his own glory and reminds us that he placed the stars in the sky for that very reason. And in Proverbs, he reminds us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Ecclesiastes, he reminds us that we seek fulfillment in everything except him and we'll never find it apart from him. And then in Isaiah, he shows us that he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And in Jeremiah, he simply says, call on me and I will answer thee. 
And in Lamentation, he reminds us that he will hear our cry. And in Ezekiel and Daniel, he is the Almighty and even uses heathen kings that are his enemies for his purposes. Throughout the minor prophets, he reminds us that he has not forgotten his people and will send his son. You might remember Micah. We talked about him last week. In Micah, you can't hardly find it in the Old Testament. But, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are the littlest among all the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come the one who is the ruler of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. I love Jonah also, by the way. In Jonah, he reminded us that he will send a prophet to Gentile people, the Ninevites, the Gentiles. And that lets us know that God is not ethnocentric or, as you and I would say today, racist. You see, the Word of God is endless in its treasures. You can dive in and you can dig down. It's like an ocean and you have the opportunity, the choice. You as a believer have the choice. You can approach the Word of God like an ocean. You can turn your back against it and you can complain about how hot it is out here. Or you can turn to it and you can dive in and go to all of the different things that you never knew existed. You can get in there and you can swim around in the Word of God and allow it to change your heart and change your life. And the Word of God is inexhaustible. It's not just inexhaustible, it's profitable. The Scriptures are profitable. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Scriptures are profitable. They'll keep you on the right path. They're good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. I can just imagine this. The way I see this, the different words that are used. 2 Timothy 3.16, it's as if I'm walking down a path in the darkness. The Word of God is the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. And there will come a time when I don't pay attention to the Word and I begin to wander off the path. And it will be that which provides light to correct me and bring me back to the path and set my feet on the right ways again. You see, the Scriptures are profitable for you. I don't know if you've ever thought about the act of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God. This isn't a sermon about the Holy Spirit and how He works, but oh, the Holy Spirit has everything to do with the Word of God. For you might remember, holy men of God wrote as the Holy Spirit moved them. All Scripture is given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I think of that's the way, from the book of Genesis, that's the way that the Holy Spirit has always been. You might remember Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 2. In the midst of creation, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit moved upon the waters. And the meaning in that spirit moving upon the waters is just like a mother hen looking after her chickens, her little chicks, the Holy Spirit protecting the creative work of God Almighty. And He's been doing that all along, protecting what God is doing in your life. God's doing a work in you, regenerating you and changing you, and the Holy Spirit's right there with you, protecting it and looking after it. Now, keep in mind, here's John chapter 15 and verse 26. This is why the Holy Spirit came. Jesus went up and the Holy Spirit comes. Here's Jesus' words. When the Comforter is come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. So how is it that the Holy Spirit protects the work of God in your life? He does it by drawing your heart towards Jesus. 
Now, you might remember John 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So God used the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. Forty different authors, the Holy Spirit worked in their lives as they wrote. Inspired, that's the word. God breathed. God used the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. And then the Holy Spirit indwells your heart, believer, and He's protecting the work that God is doing. So when you approach the Word of God to read the Word of God, to know more of Christ so that you can make Him known, while you're reading the Word, the very one who authored the Word is awakening your soul so that you will have a love for the Word. You see, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life as you spend time in the Word. Let me spend the rest of our time together being just a little bit practical. First thing I think would be helpful is if you were to follow a plan. So as I talk about practical, we've printed off three different plans at the back. I, in, the, in past years, I've done six, seven plans, and then we get to the end, and I find out only three people took anything. So I try to boil it down and make it easy for you, okay? So here's, here's some plans, and later today I'll send out over the uh, WhatsApp and Messenger, I'll send out uh, some more plans digital that you can just go and link there. Maybe you don't like these. I don't know why. There's a one plan. This was Navigator's Book at a Time Bible reading plan. This will go. You'll walk through the whole Bible in one year. Now, if you've never done that before, I promise you it will change your life. Your spiritual walk will be completely different by spending time in the Word every day. But if you don't set a plan, you've heard the statement, failing to plan is planning to fail. So if you don't have a plan, what you'll do is one morning you'll get up and you'll remember it, and you'll, I don't know where I'm going to read, and you just open it up in Daniel chapter 8, in the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, I don't know what's going on here, and you'll give up. But if you follow a plan, then you've got something each day to say, okay, I'm going to be right here today. So here's one, book at a time, that's the full Bible in one year. As you're in month number one, day number one, which is today, Genesis chapter one and two, and Psalms chapter one. And you just read that. And as you read it, you allow the Lord to do His work, and you just soak it up. You see, when you go diving in the sea, those of you that have done that, those of you that go diving in the sea, maybe you go looking for something, and when you find it, you're excited about that. But you never know what else you might find when you go diving. And so you go diving, and you never know what you're going to find. And sometimes part of getting to the diving is actually getting in the dinghy and going across the water at the top so that you can get there. And so maybe you're reading along and it's in Chronicles and it's saying this one begat that one and this one begat that one and you say, I have no idea what this means. It's okay, just be in the dinghy with your 40 horse and just give it a good one right across the top. It's okay. Sometimes I get, I get finished with those parts faster than Becky does. She looks at me and she said, you just ran the dinghy across the top, didn't you? I said, I did. I ran the dinghy across the top. But then you might find something where you're going to dive down in and you start looking around a little bit more. Maybe if you've never done a whole Bible, you've never read through the whole Bible, that's a plan you can try. Here's another one. Maybe you say, I'm a slower reader. That's okay. That's the one that's back there. It says five by five by five. You'll see it. Five X, five X, five. 
That's five by five by five. What this one is, you're only going to work your way through the New Testament. And it says on there each day, week number one, you'll start in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter one, it's five days a week. You're just going to work your way through it. It has an explanation on the front page there. You say, I, don't, I won't make it through the whole Bible in one year. Guess what you will be doing? You'll be spending time in the Word. And if you want to know the plan that Becky and I will be using for our 21st time through the Bible together, I printed that one off back there as well. It says at the top, Matt and Becky's reading plan. You'll notice that we only do five days a week, Monday to Friday. Saturday, sometimes catch up day for us. We haven't made it through all of the reading for the week. Sunday mornings, we don't got time yet. So I don't read on Sunday mornings. I spend a lot of time looking over the sermon for that Sunday. Three of them are back there. I don't care which one you do. You don't have to do one of these, but do one. Set a plan and follow the plan. Second thing I think is important is to memorize Scripture. So don't just read the Word, memorize it. I won't stay long on this, but let me point out that Scripture memory is not intended for me to put into my heart in case one day they might arrest me and I won't have access to a Bible and I live in a communist prison for the rest of my life and I need to be able to quote Bible. That's not going to happen to you. If it does, I apologize. But there's a much deeper importance for hiding the Word of God in my heart. And this comes out of Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart that... I might not sin against thee. This isn't, I'm not memorizing the word of God so that one day I'll be able to recall it when I'm sitting in prison. The reason I memorize the word of God is so that I won't sin against my heavenly father. I don't want to have anything between me and him. And so in the moment, I will not set a wicked thing before my eyes. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him work with his hands that he may give. These are the words of Scripture that will come to my mind in the moment if I've been taking the time to spend time in the Word. Memorize the Word. Meditate on the Word. Put your mind in the Word of God. This is that part where I'm talking about you hit the 40 horse and you go across the top and you find a place that you want to dive on. Meditate. Spend time there looking around. Uh, Becky and I and the kids, we got to go out on the reef this week. For Christmas, Becky got me a snorkel mask. You're not allowed to have it. It's amazing. It covers my whole face. I could breathe. Oh, man, I could breathe it. It never got foggy. And I got to look underneath the water. It was amazing. Don't ask me if you can borrow it. It's mine. And I got to look underneath the water, and it was so clear. And I went, wow, look at all the stuff that's down here. And I thought to myself, that's meditating on the Word. Look, it's inexhaustible. I'm spending time in it. I'm, I'm taking the time to think about it. What's that look like? It means I read the verse and then I stop and I think about the sentence structure. Maybe you like... I do. It's in me. I don't know why I do. I love grammar. Why was it worded the way it's worded? And then I begin to think, well, if it was worded differently, how would that change the meaning? Or... If it didn't say this, if this wasn't in the Word, how would that change God's character? Or then I begin to ask, is this same idea found anywhere else in the Word? Is there another place in Scripture where this is found and maybe it's going to reveal to me more of God's character? Meditate on the Word. Here's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 
Joshua 1 and verse 8, the book of, This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Spend time thinking about it. And Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but instead his delight, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The man that is not walking in the way of the ungodly is instead living a spiritually disciplined life. And he's meditating on the Word of God. His delight is there. So do more reading and do meditating. You realize that God created you as a human being with the ability to meditate. Animals don't meditate. I've got two dogs. One's brilliant, one's not. And never have the two of them ever meditated. Studies have been done. They say that a dog has a memory of less than five minutes. A fish has three seconds. Fish is like, hi, my name's Matt. Sorry, what was my name again? (laughs) But a dog, I've never seen my dog sit there and go, man, I wish my name wasn't Chewy. I wish I had a different name. That's such a bad name. I wish I had a better name. They don't meditate. They don't come up to me and say, you know, I know you put that kibble in my bowl for me to eat, but it sure would be nice if you added a little butter and some onions with it because that would make it taste so much more. They never meditate, but God has given us as human beings the ability to meditate. That sets us apart from the rest of the creation, and it's so that we can meditate upon the glories of our magnificent God. We meditate on how wonderful He is. Take the time to stop and think about His Word. And never in the history of mankind has it been easier than it is right now. Young people, you've had the ability in in Bible study to talk about things like blue-letter Bible. Let me see your hands. How many of you have used blue-letter Bible? Young people, let me see them. Blue-letter, look at them. Look at that. Blue-letter Bible. That didn't exist when I was your age. It wasn't even there. I know you think I'm old now. I promise I'm not. Because it was a lot less when my dad was, my, was your age. They didn't even invent color yet back then. Just kidding. Some of you are looking at me like, why would you say that? Dinosaurs were still walking about around back then. God's gifted us with great things in our generation. And yet, because we have so many things at our disposal, there's so many other things competing for our time. Let us remember, he's given us a command. Give attendance to reading. And by the way, this is not just for the pastor. This is for all of us, brothers and sisters. I am so thankful as your pastor. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I get every week to sit down. And I spend a whole day in my office. I close the door. If there's noise going on in the house, I put noise-canceling earbuds in. I get to spend time a whole day just swimming in the Word. I love that. I'm so thankful for it. But it doesn't have to be just the pastor who spends time meditating in the Word. You can do it as well. It's a gift that's given to us. Remember Jesus' words, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You will find spiritual nourishment in the Word of God. Don't think, I'm just going to come on Sunday and Pastor will have prepared the meal and I'll partake there. Oh no, come and partake regularly, daily, 
Read the Word. Memorize the Word. Meditate on the Word. I want you to look at verse 16, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, and I'll finish out with that verse. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, notice these words, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Do you want to help others find your own footing in the Word? Do you want to help others? Then you need to find your own footing in the Word. I'll give an example of this. I've had the privilege of sitting through counseling with many people over the years. And many times I've seen this exact thing happen. I sit down for counseling and many times somebody says, Hey, Pastor, I want to talk and I have no idea what it's going to be about. So how do you prepare for something that you don't know? And we'll sit down and I'll ask, Tell me what's going on in life and any range of things. Usually when they come and ask for counseling, they're broken and it's okay. Guys, I have benefited from counseling myself. And I sit and I listen, but as I listen to somebody unpack what's going on in their life, I'm taking little notes. I want to remember to come back and touch something they've said. But at the same time, I'm praying. Because James chapter 1 and verse 5 says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth liberally and upbraideth not. He does not mock me when I ask him for wisdom. He gives liberally. But I know that that wisdom has to come from somewhere, and it's not going to come from me. Guess where it comes from? The Word of God. And oh, so many times, the counsel that I provide in that moment, guess where it has come from? The overflow of my time in the Word that day. Unbelievable the number of times that I have come to the Word for myself and God has used that Word, the spiritual discipline, to be a strength and a help to me in that day. But then as the words of verse 16 say, in doing this, It's helping me and it's also helping others who are hearing me. You see, what's happened is spending time in the Word has been a help to me, but it's also been a help to others. And I have no doubt that in your day-to-day life that there are people you interact with that God is doing His best to try to get His Word into their lives and they're not going to crack their Bibles open. But if you will, He'll work through your life, in your life, and into their life. See, God's doing a work. We have a misconception often that if we're spiritual and we do everything just right, that when a major decision comes up in our life, we just have a misconception that we're going to stop, we're going to go to the Bible, and we're going to find, how do I handle this? And maybe we'll stop and we'll pray, how do I handle this? What do I do in this decision? And that somehow if we go to the Word and we pray that God will unpack that for us and we'll make the right decision. You realize that studies show the average human in one day makes 35,000 decisions. That's one decision for every two seconds in your day. You make 35,000 decisions a day. You don't have time to stop and pray about every single one of them. 
But do you realize what spiritual disciplines does for you? It changes who you are. It changes how you make decisions. So your life is not going to be summarized by, I come to this crossroads and do I go right or do I go left? Wait, I have to stop. You guys wait. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to read the word and then I'll come back with a decision. No, you come to it and you say, because I'm a spiritual person, I go this way. And then you go through the rest of the day and because I'm a spiritual person, I go this way. And because I'm a spiritual person, I go this way. You see, spiritual disciplines changes who we are. If I can go back to that opening illustration, it's the rinsing our cottage cheese. Because I get up and read my, word, read my Bible and I spend time meditating on the Word of God, it changes who I am. So that as I come through my day, I'm going to choose to do what's right. My decisions, my life will be impacted. So soak up the view. Dive in. For therein is great delight. I want to close in corporate prayer this morning and I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. And I'm going to invite you, if you would, to come around the altar. And I'd like to challenge you this morning to take up daily scriptural reading of the Word. So could I ask you to stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. Make your way to the altar if you'd like to. I'm not asking you to say, yes, if I come to the altar, I'm going to commit. And if I stay at the chair, I'm not going to read. Um, But I want to ask you to take up the challenge. Give attendance to reading. Maybe you can't read audio Bibles there. Maybe you've tried before and you've failed. A just man falls seven times and he gets back up, but the wicked man gives himself over to his sin. Give attendance to reading. Father, I pray together with my brothers and sisters this morning, we desire to be holy. We understand, Lord, by your word, Godliness is profitable to all things in this life and in the eternal life to come. So this morning we've seen how precious your word is. We hear this command, give attendance to reading, exhortation to doctrine. And I pray with my brothers and sisters this morning, Lord, we need your strength. For there will be days, Lord, when we get up and we read with joy, and there will be days when we get up and we forget pray that you'd help us just get back up, fall seven times and keep getting back up. pray that you would make sin look ugly as a result of our time in the Word. Give us eyes to see what it really is. I pray that you would make sleeping in seem petty. Give us strength in the morning. Give us strength in the evening before to make good decisions of what the next day might look like. And may we come to your word excited for it. I pray this morning that you would use your Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts, draw us into your word, and then as your word works in our hearts, I pray that we would be drawn to love Jesus and know Jesus. But I thank you for your goodness upon us. Thank you for your word, how clear it is. I pray we would take it and not take it for granted. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.